Well, if you have your Bible with you, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 6 through 16 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 16. Last week, Tyler did an incredible job helping us see our place in this world. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be imitators of our Father, imitators of God. And he used this incredible illustration of style. Right? Style is when you are in the way of your father. And so we're going to kind of continue that imagery this morning. When I was in high school, I loved style. I didn't get my personal style until later in high school. You might look at me and go, dude, you don't have style. And I'm okay with that. That's cool because I have my own style. I'm cool with me. When I was a freshman in high school, I struggled to try and navigate the dimensions of friendship and where I fit in high school. And there were this, this part of me that was trying to be drawn to something that I wasn't yet. And so I was walking around and I was looking at the groups of people and I was like, where do I belong? And I started this journey of trying to fit in, being deceived that if I looked a certain way, I could become something. So I looked at the skater kids in the 90s, we called them dirt heads, all right? And I was like, I think that might be a place that I belong. And so I began to dress like that. And I was navigating that circle for a while. And then I was okay at basketball. And so my basketball season came around and I was like, you know, maybe I need to look like one of the jocks. And so I began to do that thing. And then in the 90s, Doc Martens were cool all right, and so I was like, maybe I want to look like one of the preppy kids. And so I got some Doc Martens and wore like a, a, a pullover shirt, like a, a polo. That was really strange. And, and I did that, and I was like, maybe that's not my place. And then I saw it. I was like, I know what that is. Kid wearing a belt buckle. It was like this big. I was like, that's where I belong. And so I tried the cowboy thing. I ruined my dad's boots because my feet were too big, and they stretched out the leather. But I was in this process of trying to be drawn to something. See, in our lives, we're going to talk this morning about light and dark. What does it mean to live in the light and what does it mean to run from the darkness? And Paul is going to give us a very particular and very specific way for us to navigate those two things. So let me pray for us and then we'll read God's word together. God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word through the work of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray this morning that we would walk away knowing how to live. God, I pray that you'd be peace in my heart, God, that I might be a man who speaks truth. God, that we would be a people who live truth. So God, we thank you for all the ways you bless us, even the ones we don't see. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul's talking about what we talked about last week. Do not be deceived about sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness, which is greed. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. It's in likened to Romans chapter one. Don't be deceived by what these people are saying to you, verse seven, therefore do not become partakers, partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things. 
that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. See, Paul is trying to clearly articulate for this group of Ephesians, this Ephesians church, about what it looks like to live in the world where they're planted. See, these people had come to Christ and their lives were changed forever, but their venue didn't stop. They lived in the same home, they went to the same market, and so the people they grew up with all around them. And there's this point in their life where Paul is trying to describe to them, do not be deceived. See, deception is all around us. The world always trying to draw us back to what we once were. Trying to draw us away from what is true. Even Jesus wasn't immune to trying to be deceived. After he had spent his time in the wilderness, Satan showed up and tried to offer him all of these things to deceive him from his mission. The good news of the gospel and to give his life as a ransom. And everything that Satan presented, every deception he tried to throw to our Savior's way, he fought it with scripture. If you've been around church, you're going to want to hear that because that's a tip. It's a pro tip, all right? Pro tip, listen to scripture because Jesus did. See, deception wants you to be drawn away. These people in Ephesus living around all of these people that they would have spent their life with could have heard things like, it's not that bad, just come with us. Why are you making this thing you used to do such a big deal? This sexual immorality, this impurity, this covetousness, this greed. I mean, they would have never used those words because those are condemning words. They would have used words of light and beauty to try and draw them away to the sins they used to commit. Maybe you have people like that in your life. Since coming to Christ, they're still trying to bring you with them. Maybe it's you trying to bring you with you. It might not be the deception of the world, but the deception of your heart. The whole goal was to be drug away to the former life. Because of the former life, because of these acts, the wrath of God is coming. And Paul says, don't be partakers with them. Don't be partners with them. There's no reason to go back to the way you once lived. The light is better. The light is better. Verse eight, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. The Christian life is always a command not for you to become what you are not, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit, but for you to be who you really are in Christ. See, I think sometimes we spend our energy thinking about who we're supposed to be instead of living in who you are. See, the Bible uses clear words to describe our status. You are a child of God. You are an heir. You are redeemed. You are adopted. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High King. And there are many times that we put labels on ourselves that are unfair. Sometimes I'll hear my kids say things like, I'm just stupid. I'm not smart enough for that. I'm just, I'm, Dad, I'm dumb. And the reality is, no, 
Those things are lies of the world. That's not who you are. You are amazing. You are smart. You are beautiful. Church, don't label yourself something that you're not. Because when you walk around with those labels of things that you're not, sometimes you begin to believe them and you act like you shouldn't. And sitting, living out of the label that God gave you as a child of light. Walk in it as a child of light. Light is your new style. Walking in the things of God is your new style. Light matters. Imagine a world where it was just dark. That doesn't sound fun to me. There's only one source of light. There's only one place when we talk about light from the perspective of scripture, there's only one place that it begins and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the answer when you don't know what to say in church, always say Jesus, all right? Because it's the source. It is the very true thing that orients our life so that we might see what is true and what is right and what is real, From the very beginning, light has been a huge part of our existence. God said in Genesis chapter one, let there be light. Light was used with the people of Israel when they left Egypt to be a symbol of God's presence with them, both during the day and at night. Light is used in the tabernacle and in the temple to be this picture of God's residing with his people. And then Jesus shows up on the scene in John chapter one, verses four and five. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter three, starting in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will, walk, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, light is life-giving. If you're a farmer in this place, you know how important sun is to your crops. If you're from Seattle, you know how detrimental the clouds are to your personality and your experience. (laughs) And a friend who told me they give them these special sun lamps at their desk so they don't go crazy, right? We need vitamin D, it's very important. So the reality is because of the light and the source of that light, verse eight, we need to walk as children of light, to walk out our new style, to understand who we are because of the way that God has illuminated our experience, our life, who we are. See, he uses the word walk because it's movement. A lot of times we just wanna be stagnant or sit still or not do anything. The Christian life is about movement. It's about going and doing the things that God has given us to do not retracting. And as we do them, we're walking as children of light. When you walk in light, it has fruit. Okay, fruit is a good thing. Deadness is not. 
You know a tree is alive because it produces things. You know a Christian is alive because it produces things. And when we walk in the light, there are three things that become that fruit. It's everything that is good, right, and true. Goodness, it's far from malice, a spirit of generosity that desires to bless others. Righteousness, it's activity, which is right in the sight of God. And truth, it's integrity, so that your inside and your outside is alike, so that your motives and your actions are coordinated. See, when we do the things that God has called us to do, we produce good things, true things, right things. It has an effect the Christian who doesn't have fruit might want to ask a, another question. See, verse 10 says, what do we need to do? How do we figure out this and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord? Sometimes trying to make these discerning decisions can feel difficult and hard at times. I'm going to tell you it really isn't because the word of God is right there for you. Whatever question you have in your life, we go to the word of God and he has answers for us. And maybe at the end of the day, it might be difficult. Let me give you two suggestions from Jesus that will put it into perspective. Jesus said, what is everything? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe you're having a hard time trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, if you can focus those two things into the questions you ask about what I should do, is what I'm about to do Show that I love the Lord my God with my heart, soul, shine, and strength. If it lines up, then yes. Is what I'm about to do show that I love my neighbor as myself? If yes, then do it. Sometimes we want to make things more difficult than they are when the simplicity of what God has given us to do looks at the Father and says, I want to do whatever it is that would please you and honor you. And by loving you with my actions, I know that's what I'm in for. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. What you notice is that light has fruit, darkness is unfruitful. That should tell you that you don't want to be in the dark. Make the connection that your life does not want to be represented by darkness. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Here's the deal. You know when you're in darkness. You know when you found yourself in a place that you shouldn't be. You know when you've made the wrong decision. And it's easy. You go back to when you were a kid and you think about what your reaction was when you did the thing that your mom and dad told you not to do. Your inclination is to hide the evidence, right? To blame the sibling. And if you're an only child, you blame the dog. <laughs> to lie about it. But then there's this thing that physically happens to our bodies. And probably even happens to you now, even though you've tried to deny it. Your hands get sweaty. <laughs> you feel like your heart is pounding in your head. You feel overwhelmed at what you've just done and you don't know what to do. Last week when Tyler was teaching, he talked to us about our conscience, that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. 
we know when we're in darkness and we know that it's not right. Paul says, don't even be partners with them. Don't even be partakers in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them. But maybe you don't know when you're in the darkness. Let me give you three things that will reveal whether you are. If you're in the darkness, you most likely are hiding, lying, and blaming. All the same things we did as a kid, we're still doing them as an adult. We just use clever words to change the definition so that we feel better about ourselves. Because we've calloused our heart to our behavior, to the things of the world being more powerful than the things of God. See, God has called us to run from darkness, but he's also called us to expose darkness with our lives. The reality is when the light is on, darkness is no more. When the light is on, that's a simple statement. When the light is on, darkness is no more. The reality is that statement should be true of our hearts. When the light is on, when Jesus is on, that darkness should be dissipated. But yet there are these moments when we still want the darkness. We had a conversation this week with one of our, our kids, one of our daughters. My kids, do you kids like Minecraft? Okay, good. Thanks for, thanks for responding. Um, my kids really like Minecraft. I think relate to the game, but one of them in particular was having this struggle where all she wanted to do was play Minecraft. And one of the older girls said to her, you need God more than you need Minecraft. And she said, I don't want God, I want Minecraft. That might be an indication of darkness, folks. <laughs> that if in your life you were putting an object where you want it, you wouldn't say it the way she did, but you're living it the way she said it. Where you want this thing more than you want God. That would be a picture of darkness. The reality is there's really not much I could get away with in front of you right now. The lights are on me. Everybody's keeping their eyes on me. I can't, really can't do anything like really good criminal activity right now, right? Because I'm exposed, right? Your mom was probably right when she said nothing good happens after 10 p.m. <laughs> or the advice that I give young dating couples, you'll never do in Starbucks what you would do in private. The light exposes us and keeps us to where God wants us to be. God has called us to live as children of light, to expose the darkness. See, the reality is we're not even supposed to talk about the things that they do in darkness. It's shameful, Paul says, to even speak of them. And yet we find ourselves so easily engaged in conversations about what they do. You ever found yourself saying, I can't believe they would do that. <laughs> That's us talking about darkness. And sometimes we couch it, couch it in accountability or vulnerability when really all it is is gossip and slander. Or we continue talking about it where we become okay with the things that are done in darkness. We entertain the conversation enough, you don't even think about it anymore. It just becomes part of life. And you're like, yeah, it's okay. 
instead of being able to say what God says and know that it's sin. We expose those things. Exposure of darkness is not about talking and naming them, but being such a presence in the world that does, darkness doesn't have a chance of growing. Let me say that again. Exposure of darkness is not about talking and naming them, but being such a presence in the world that darkness doesn't have a chance of growing. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, light on a hill, right? The idea of possibly of a lighthouse, on a harbor so the ship might see safety. The life of a Christian should shine in such a way that exposes people for who they are because God has exposed you for who you are. Not living with a, con with a, a tongue of condemnation, but with living a life that shows Jesus. Light changes everything. Imagine trying to clean your house with the lights off. It makes no sense. Jesus uses this illustration of salt, and I think it's so helpful, right? This idea of salt and its taste and salt and the properties that it has to our food, right? Some of you use too much salt, okay? Doctor told you not to. But salt has this incredible power of preservation. See, in the time... Old times, we're going to call it old times. In the old times, they would use salt to keep their meat from going bad, right? You didn't know this, but they didn't have refrigerators back then, okay? And so they would use salt to preserve their meat. Salt has this incredible power when it does that. I'm about to drop science, okay? Like real science, okay? Not just metaphorical science, science. Salt does this incredible thing. When it is preserving a piece of meat, it takes that piece of meat from gram negative to gram positive, okay? I don't know what that means, but it does it, okay? All right, and the other thing that it does is that that salt removes water so the bacteria that went from gram negative to gram positive does not have a chance to grow, so the reality of what happens while that piece of meat is being preserved by salt is nothing bad happens. Church, we are the salt that makes environments neutral, right? Have you ever been on the golf course and got to hole six and you finally get to the point where you tell people what you do and they ask about blah, 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 and you say, oh, I go to church and they're like, hey, I'm really sorry about all the things I said the first five holes. <laughs> you ever in the lunchroom and the guy tells this dirty joke and then he turns around and he goes, I'm so sorry, I didn't know you were here. See, the Christian life should be exposing people. It should be a neutral presence. And what I mean by a neutral presence, you being there keeps people from sinning. <laughs> they might go and sin later, but your very presence, hey, I'm not gonna do that because you're here. Your very presence in your community and wherever you find yourself should change the environment because of what God has done in our heart. We shine and we taste good. 
Amen? Amen. Hey, don't be a bad tasting Christian. See, God does a work through his people. When Christians in the world, things change. When you're living as a child of light, things change. People see you differently. They begin to ask questions like, why are you like that? Why would you do that? Why are you nice to your wife? Christians change things. But here's what Paul tells us in verse 14, and he tells us from Isaiah. This verse is for believers and unbelievers alike because there are times, in all honesty, when we still find ourselves encapsulated in darkness. Paul says this, quoting Isaiah, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When you feel darkness, you need light. I think sometimes we don't always think about the power of being here regularly on Sunday together or being in community together or serving all three of those things, things we talk about as our core of discipleship at this church on a regular basis are exposing your heart to light. We need light in our life. We need the work and the word of God to cover us because our ability to slip or go into darkness are very high. Light will always wake you up. Light will always wake you up. For our kids, we have dark out shades. Anybody a big fan of dark out shades? Give an amen, okay? The dark out shades are important because they keep the light out, okay? And I want my kids to sleep. Sleep is the greatest gift God gave to parents, okay? And in that moment, that's a win. In our new house, we have a basement, like a Midwest style where we have a basement. It's kind of cool. Um, there's, there's windows down there. But the reality is I can fake my kids out because they can't tell time, all right? And if the dark shades are on, they don't know it's light out. So we can go down and I can give them to sleep at 645, all right? But what gets difficult, Christian, is when you put the dark out shades up in your heart. When you put the dark out shades up in your heart because you want to avoid the light of Jesus Christ, you probably have a problem. We need light. And the reality is, you think you're hiding something, but God already knows. God already knows what's going on. Light will always wake you up, hear this, either in this life or when you meet the creator of light. So Paul transitions us to what we do. Because of darkness and deception are all around us, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. I don't know if any of you ever have had a house where there's scorpions. Oh yeah, all right. So our very first house, we had scorpions. And if you have a house where there's scorpions, all right, you walk carefully, <laughs> You look carefully. You're flipping on every light. You know every inch of that house by step and light switch count, right? You go with shoes. You check the shoes. You shake the shoes, right? You put glass jars under the crib because you believe glass keeps scorpions out of the crib, right? You look carefully. Everything you do, okay? 
Maybe you don't have scorpions. Maybe you have a house full of boys and Legos. <laughs> hey, you walk carefully then. You look where you go. You ever catch one of those in the middle of the night? Yeah, that's worse than a scorpion. All right, because you know who left it. <laughs> right? Or maybe that, those don't work for you. Ever been hiking with little kids, particularly boys? Girls are pretty good. They're pretty sensitive and they walk carefully. We were, uh, last summer, we're up in Flagstaff and we went to Walnut Canyon, these incredible cave dwellings. Well, the way that it's set up is this, this pathway around the cave dwellings. And, and my wife was like, I'm not going there. That's too sketchy. And I was like, okay, I'll take some of the kids. And so some of the kids and I, we went and we walked all the way down. Okay, hiking with a boy is a, think about it as somebody with no brain cells trying to navigate something. Okay, my son's running, all right? And he's right by the edge and he like trips. You, dude, you gotta walk carefully. So I threw him into the rock. He was really mad. I said, dude, I just saved your life. You owe me. <laughs> Look carefully then how you walk. And Paul says this, not as unwise, but as wise. You know the unwise decisions you've made. <laughs> you wish you could go back and think it over again. But for the Christian, we need to ask where does wisdom start? Psalm 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Proverbs 9:10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to make wise choices? Let's have awe and respect for the one who made us and gave us new life through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's take into account the things that he says and the things that he calls us to do. The ability to look at our heavenly father and say, God, I want to do what is best according to your way. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Wise walking looks like this. Wisdom says, if I want to walk wise, wisdom says, ask God's word. Hebrews chapter 4, 11 through 13. You want to walk wise, wisdom says, ask God. We pray. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. You want to walk wise, wisdom says, ask God's people. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. We go to his word, we go to him, and we go to his people. You want to walk wise, you want to look carefully then, you put those principles into perspective and into play in your life, and I guarantee you're going to see things differently. In verse 16, when we walk as wise, when we do what we're supposed to do, when we live as children of light, we can make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And I don't have to tell you that they're evil. You know. You watch the world around us and you know how messed up things are. And if we're to be people who walk in light, our lives should do something about that. Making the best use of the time. Other versions use the word redeeming the time. And the word redeem means to buy back. What can I do that changes things? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, in talking about prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the question is, how are we the church bringing the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? How are we living in such a way to bring light 
to a dying world. As we walk around and we live our lives, we're exposing the world to Jesus Christ. How are we making an impact in our communities, in our neighborhoods, at our jobs? How are we bringing the kingdom come at Intel as it is in heaven? How are we bringing the kingdom come at Houston Elementary as it is in heaven? And wherever your place is, how are you bringing the kingdom come? How are you living out of kingdom principles as children of light where God has called you that they can't deny what you believe? How will we run from darkness? How will we not talk about darkness? How will we expose darkness as we bring the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? So I want to bring it to children's church for a minute. I want to give you something to hold on to. You get in the car, you probably could ask your kids and they could tell you what I'm about to show you and tell you why what I'm about to show you matters. See, from the very beginning of time, God has had a desire to be with his people. God has always given his people the best way to live. God knew his people needed a way to live in order to make sense of life. And he gave it to them, but man decided that darkness and his own, his own way was better than God's way. And they sinned against God because they didn't live out of what was best for them. And then God gave them a new way. He gave them the law that they might find truth, but what it did was expose them. And yet the best way to live never changed. And then God in his grace and mercy gave Jesus Christ so that our heart could be changed, our sins could be forgiven, and we could have new life in him to spend eternity in wonderful union with God forever. Do you want to know what that best way is? You're supposed to say yes. Okay, good. I'm going to get down real low here. So I'm going to tell you what the best way to live is. See, the best way to live is to be close to God and under his commands. So I'm going to show you something. I don't show it to everybody, but I'm going to show you. But I'm going to need you to repeat after me the best way to live. Okay, not everybody did it, so we're going to try again. Okay, I'll call you out by name. Don't worry. Here we go. The best way to live. Put your arms out. Everybody. Try it again. The best way to live is to be close to God and under his commands. You see, the people from the very beginning had exactly what they needed for life. God told them how to live, but they didn't obey his command. God gave them a new law, but they didn't follow it. They followed themselves. And so Jesus gave us a new heart that we could be close to him in relationship and have an incredible life living under his commands. My challenge is that you might take that simple principle wherever you go, that the best way to live is to be close to God and under his commands. Let's pray together. God, we love you and the simplicity of what you have given us to live out 
gets difficult when we listen to ourselves instead of Jesus Christ. God, would you give us hearts to be the people to live how you've called us to live? God, I thank you for this church, for a place where we can be reminded of the incredible power of the cross. God, would you take this moment now and center it right there at the foot of Jesus. It's in his name, amen.